All right, take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. This morning we're going to be talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. And uh, it seemed wise that we should pray before we do that, right? So let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, we recognize that it's one thing to know about you, it's another thing to listen to you. And as we go through what you prepared today with me, I'm asking, Lord, that you would be at work and that um, you would illustrate it uh, as we talk, that you would create all kinds of conversations with your sons and daughters who you love, and that, Lord, uh, this would uh, be healthy and good for the direction of our church, and that this would be exciting, and, uh, Lord, that we will have great hope in you. And so we give that to you with great hope and ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with Mark chapter 3. Remember, John had his ministry, then Jesus started his ministry, and then the rulers and the scribes and Pharisees came down from Jerusalem, and uh, they were very accusatory. In Mark 3, 28 30, it says, Truly, and Jesus is talking about this accusatory spirit they had, and he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. And, and right, we blaspheme all over the place. You hear it in the grocery store, you hear it, right? I mean, road rage, all that kind of stuff. We, we're just, we kind of do that. It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So we talked last week, uh, just a, a little review here. We talked last week how quickly Jesus rose and came to the defense of the Holy Spirit. That there are very few things that uh, irritated Jesus or um, got him riled up or irked, but this is one of them. Uh, when they went after the Holy Spirit, Jesus got really upset. And they were accusing him of having an unclean spirit. They were saying, you know how he does it. He does it because he's a Satanist himself and he does it by the power of Satan and Satan is casting out other Satans and that's how he's getting away with it. And so they were totally repudiating not only what Jesus was doing, but who he was and the power through which he was, was doing that. So last week we spent some time, we looked at the names for the Holy Spirit. We also looked at the roles that the Holy Spirit has. Uh, Jesus calls him our helper. That's an incredibly great title, our helper. You know, just think of times in your life when you've needed help. Jesus says, hey, I've got somebody for you. He's called the helper. Um, we also pointed out and underlined the fact that the Holy Spirit is not weird. Okay? Somehow it's Father, Son, and over here, Holy Spirit. Kind of an appendage. He's, he's a, no, 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 no. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're together. They are the most balanced person and personality in the universe. They form what we call the Trinity. We talked about that last week. We also emphasized last week off of that that Jesus' love for the Holy Spirit is every bit as deep and intense and close as is the love between the Father and the Son. Okay? Like I just said, it's not Father, Son, mm, Holy Spirit over here somewhere. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There, Jesus was intensely close and personal with the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. So if anything good comes out of this morning in terms of truth, it comes from the Holy Spirit, not necessarily Steve. 
He's the spirit of purity. He's the spirit of love. He's the spirit of joy. And He is our teacher and our helper. So there's another angle then that caught my attention as we were going off these verses last week. There's another angle, idea that uh, captured me uh, that was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking it was saying something important to us. And I, and I wasn't quite sure how to articulate it. You ever have a good idea, right? And you're just, it's rumming and you, you can't quite get the pulse on it. And so I was just praying through this, uh, what it was. And I couldn't articulate it until I went to our church planning network this last week. We were uh, at all gathered over at Edgewood and hanging out together. And the guy was talking and uh, Pastor Scott Scruggs was there um, he is the pastor of North Shore. I want to just give you a picture of him. Here's Scott. This is his wife, Nina, and their little daughter, Nora. Okay, He's brand new to North Shore. North Shore is our mother church. And so we came from there. That's our tribe, our posse. We owe a great debt of gratitude to them. And uh, so he's the pastor there, and I wanted you to know what he looks like and uh, encourage you to pray for him. He's doing a great job. But he was asked to share something, and he shared something that really caught the pulse of what I was trying to say. And so I actually called him up and asked him if I could steal his sermon. Right? And he said I could, for which I'm, I'm really grateful. So uh, the question comes, what was Jesus trying to identify with the Pharisees? Right? When he was talking and when, when he was throwing these, what we now understand as verses, but they were actually uh, a conversation Jesus was having with them. And, and, and maybe a story will help us understand. And here's the story that Scott used at the Pastors Network. So he was talking about a friend. He has a, a friend who's a pastor in Chicago. And uh, the, his friend shared this story. So here's the story. The story goes like this. Hank was a Christian and had gone to church most of his life. But Hank wasn't the most pleasant guy to be around. His first language was complaining. Okay? He was easily irritated and quick to judge others. He assumed that if you affirm people, they might get a big head and become proud. And so he avoided it just to make sure that the rest of us would stay humble. Hank would say that he was happy, but his face really never got the message. One of Hank's biggest frustrations at his church was the music. Can you imagine people in your church complaining about the music? Oh, the shame. Right? It's too loud, he would say. Sunday after Sunday, to the staff, to the ushers, to the elders. When that didn't work, he started complaining to total strangers. So my friend had to talk to him. Not about complaining, about not complaining to people that he didn't know. Look, you can't go out in the lobby and accost people and, you know, complain about the worship. He thought that would be the end of it. Until he was in his office one day at the church and a federal agent from the Occupational Health and Safety Administration showed up at the church to investigate a noise complaint. Any guesses who called? Yep, Hank. So my friend said, I am so sorry you came all this way. This has never happened before. It's never been a problem. I feel so embarrassed. The agent said, don't worry. If you only knew how much ridicule I was getting around my office when they found out I was going out to bust a church. 
Back to Hank. See, with Hank, it was really never about the music. His life was bereft of joy and love at almost every level. He didn't know how to love his wife effectively. He was estranged from his kids. In fact, his son met his wife at a dance, but he never told his dad the story because he knew how much his father disapproved of dancing. Hank had little regard for people struggling with poverty. He had little time for people with different accents or skin color. He was a cranky young man who grew up to be a cranky old man. Scott writes, But what was even more troubling for his friend, who was the pastor, was the fact that no one in his church seemed to be very surprised by this. No one were, nobody was scratching their heads. No church consultants were called in. No emergency meetings were held to make sense of this. Sure, Hank wasn't the most pleasant guy to be around, but he seemed to meet all the expectations of the church. He affirmed Christian beliefs. He attended worship service. He read his Bible. He supported the church financially. He didn't abuse alcohol. He avoided infidelity. Hank was a Christian. But Hank wasn't growing. And even worse, no one seemed troubled by it. Again, Scott points out that stories like this are far too common in our church today. Men and women who are Christians... But their lives, their actions, their habits look nothing like Christ. And then he says this, which is really profound. And and this is where I drop my jaw because I've said this to us many times. And coming out of someone's mouth, you're like, someone else's mouth, you're like, oh. But he said, it's possible. He said, because you see, it's possible to be informed about Jesus, but not be transformed by Jesus. And then Scott said, this is not just a problem for people going to church. He said, meddling, I thought this was a problem. He says, it's a problem for the people leading the church. He said, myself included. And then he told this story on himself, which I'm very grateful he told the story on himself so that I didn't have to come up with one on myself this weekend. (laughs) So here's how his story went. He said, not long ago he was on a flight somewhere and he was boarding an airplane And there was a young woman in the aisle in front of him uh, who was trying to get her bag into the overhead bin. I'm sure you've been there, right? Done that, seen it. And, uh, And she was really taking her time. And there was a line building up behind her. And Scott says, you know, without even thinking about it, I kind of felt a sense of impatience in my spirit. He says, you know, I wasn't in a hurry, but she was just taking too long. For my liking. And I felt like she was kind of slowing me down. And he said then, within a blink, that impatience turned to frustration, and then frustration turned to anger. And he says, do you ever notice how fast that happens? He said, I, didn't, I wasn't sitting there. He said, I didn't stop and decide to be angry. That wasn't the goal of my day. He says, but it was like those feelings were already there, just waiting to pop out. He said, in fact, she wasn't even looking at me, so she didn't notice any of this. And he said, so I started to give her the look. You're wasting my time. You're ruining my morning. You know the look I'm talking about. Some of you are giving me that look right now. 
And then that anger became almost a kind of a contempt. He said, I started judging her. You're just an inconsiderate person. You're probably always like this. He said that was the polite language for it, you know, that he could say. And he said, finally, he said, I, I, I saw that the only way I was actually going to get to my seat was if I helped her. So for totally selfish reasons, he said to the lady, may I please help you with your bag? And here comes the punchline. She turned, looked at him and said, hey, you're the pastor of my church. <laughs> yes, he said, I am. Thinking to himself, clearly, not a very nice one. But yes, I am. Scott went on to say, here's the thing. He was talking to a group of about 20, 25 pastors in the room. He said, here's the thing. He says, I have a way of rationalizing this because I'm a pastor. He says, I have, I have a way of doing that. He says, I've been trained to assess spiritual life based on how I'm informed rather than how I am transformed. Okay? And he said, so, he says, this is how it breaks down for him. And he, he used this little graph right here. He says, so, if I put a graph and I put up here, how informed am I from 1 to 10? He says, I find out I come out pretty good. Okay? He says, uh, in fact, if I had to rate myself from 1 to 10 on how much I know or I have learned about God, he said, actually, I'm doing pretty well. He said that he had grown up in a Bible teaching church. He graduated with a theological degree. He studied ancient Greek and Hebrew. Uh, he Joe, clearly, I skipped the seminary class on graphs. But uh, in terms of information, he said, I'm doing pretty well. And then as he was talking to us, he said, and think about this, because he said, this is the role you're in as well. He said, uh, the churches we lead are in many ways designed to help people along this line. How informed am I? He said, uh, you know, come listen to a sermon. Attend this class. He said, and then when they do, we get mad when they come back and rate our church experience on how well the information was distributed. You know, how did that sermon go? Uh, did the music, how did the music make me feel? Did the teacher cover the right material the way I wanted to? Yada, 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 okay? But Scott stopped and said, okay, but pause for a minute. He says, what if I had to rate my spiritual life not based on how informed I am, but on how transformed I am? And he shot this graph up on the screen, which is basically the same graph with just a different question. How closely do my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes resemble those of Jesus? You know, he said, Jesus prayed for his enemies. He said, I gossip about mine. Jesus was generous with everything that he had. He said, I like to hold on to my stuff. He said, Jesus didn't fall prey to lust or greed or resentment. He said, I fall into those almost without trying. He said, here's the problem. He says, when I use this scale, he says, this scale is uncomfortable. He said, I don't like this one. He says, because even though I've been a Christian since I was very young, I'm still battling sins and habits that look nothing like Jesus. And he said, for me, this creates tension. He said, this creates an inner defensiveness. Uh, it creates fear. He said, and so do you know what I do? 
He says, I don't like that one, so I go back to this one. I go back to chart one. I tell myself, Scotty, he says, you know what you need? You need a good message from a really good speaker or, or a worship set from a really inspired music team or a great class where, where you can learn some more. And he says, you know, there's nothing wrong with sermons and worship sets and classes. They're designed to help us. He says, as pastors, we do that stuff for a living. He says, but the biggest problem in the American church today is not a deficit of information. It's a deficit of transformation. Sheldon Vaughan, who was a writer and a friend of C.S. Lewis, once put it this way. He says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. He said, when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous, when they are smug, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Scott said, that's Hank. And he said, unfortunately, that can be me also. He went on to say that he had a friend that says churches, this was his saying, churches should be attracting jerks, not producing them. (laughs) Let that sink in for a second. Then he went on to point this out. He said one of the Apostle Paul's first letters, his letter to the church in Galatia, he writes these impassioned words. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. And if you remember this epistle, the Galatians are a group of people that started out really good and started out in faith, but they shifted and started moving back to works and performance. And that's how they did instead of transformation. Uh, they, they, they worked off the law side of it. Paul could have said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until cry, until you are more informed about Christ. But he didn't say informed. He said formed. Transformation. Later in a letter to Rome, Paul wrote this, and we're familiar with this one. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, think along Think like God. And how do we think like God? We think like God with the help of His Helper, the Holy Spirit. That word transformed in Greek is metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis, right? Caterpillar turns into a butterfly idea. It means to be transformed from immature to mature or from one nature to another. So he went on to say this. He says, so you see, the promise of Jesus is about transformation. He said, the salvation of Jesus is about transformation. He said, the hope of Jesus is about transformation. And so he was highlighting this point. And I would just like to add, to transform, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't get there on your own devices or your own strength. So now he goes on. I'm going to diverge right here from where Pastor Scott laid out. That was mind-blowing good. And I I love to thank him for letting me borrow it. But he went on to talk about 
the importance of spiritual disciplines and the importance of habits. And he was talking about how habits kind of just become automatic. Like, like when you drive to work or you drive back home, right? And you don't remember the route you drove. You just did it. And then you, did I stop at the stoplights or were there stoplights? And he was talking about how uh, we, when, once patterns become automatic, the brain just turns off. We just stop. And he said part of transformation is getting a handle on those uh, invisible um, or those well-learned, uh, well-worn habits that have to be transformed by the Lord and the behavior or the pattern of thinking has to be changed. And it's really good. And he was talking about um, how so the spiritual disciplines work to aid us in cooperating with grace. That they in themselves aren't a means to grace, but they help us cooperate with grace. And it was a, a great point. But I want to take off on another tangent because this is where he helped me uh, put this together. And uh, I want to look at another angle that reveals itself in these statements about Jesus. In these passages in Mark, uh, where we hear Jesus talking, he's talking, uh, I want to look at the interactions between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, because I think there's something significant that caught my attention. Let's look at those verses again. Take a look here. I'll put them up on the screen. Jesus said, truly I say to you, come back now, come back to Mark. and uh, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And what was the setup for Jesus using that accusation? It was this. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Elzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. So what caught my attention was, the scribes and Pharisees, if you think about them, were the most religious people of their day. They were the most informed people of the day. Uh, they knew a lot about their Jewish heritage. They had lots of information already on Jesus. They knew where he was. They knew what he was doing. They knew what he was saying. But it didn't lead to transformation. As a matter of fact, not only did it not lead to transformation, it led to enmity. They, were actually, they actually became his enemies. These were people who were supposed to be his people. And the question is, what happened? Here's the question that, that came to my mind. I'm sure you've thought of it before as well. How did God's people go from knowing him and the spirit that comes from him, to calling the spirit that comes from him Beelzebul. Right? That's a pretty big swing. And I think their history gives us a clue. Uh, if you look at Jewish history, you know anything about Jewish history, you know that it's, it's, it's an up and down affair and it's amazing and brutal all at the same time. And if you come to the, their point... Uh, where Israel is in exile and they come back to the promised land, they get the promised land back. They rebuild the temple. It, they're, they're like, wow, look what God did. right? And they're moving and they're, they're tracking in faith again. But they were only independent for a while and then a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphany came along. Northern Syria became a, a power warlord and Antiochus Epiphany 
uh, hated God and hated Israel and wanted to take out Israel. And so he launched several brutal campaigns against the promised land. He's the guy who put the pig on the altar in the temple, right? Remember that story? And Antiochus was uh, a monster. He, he literally slaughtered uh, thousands upon thousands and would have annihilated everyone if he had been allowed to. If, and especially if it hadn't been for what God did through the Maccabees. We don't have time to talk about the Maccabees this morning. But the Maccabees gave them freedom. So they had this brief stretch of independence where they were free again. And like, wow. But then they kind of were in the ditch with Antiochus Epiphanes, got up on the road, we're free, we're free, we're free. And then back in the ditch with Rome. Right? Rome came in, subjugated them, subjugated them brutally. The yoke of slavery was put back on them. And you could tell how deeply this has chafed them because in other discussions with Jesus, they yell at Jesus, we've never been slaves to anyone. Right? So in their heart, they were still really proud. But the truth is they had been slaves a lot. And they deeply resented it. They were disillusioned and resentful. You can almost hear them saying, is this how God takes care of his people? And if it is, I don't like it. They had something and it had gotten away from them and their hearts tipped, probably by degree, probably by season, probably by generation. And their, degree, their hearts got to the place where they began to accuse God. And once they began to accuse him, then it twisted into bitterness. What happens when a person or a marriage or a family or a tribe or a culture gets bitter? Well, they stop listening to God. What happens when you get bitter? What happens when I get bitter? We stop listening to God. But notice here the interesting part. They kept all the right stuff. They... um, they did the sacrifices. They kept all the rules for the temple, the rules for life. They kept, but they had stopped listening to God. In essence, they were holding on to and living the entire Jewish life without God. Matter of fact, when God actually showed up, you can kind of get the impression that they said, good, about time you showed up, let us tell you how you should have done things and let us help you because obviously you don't have a clue how things work. Right? And here was the assumption. I'm still alive. I'm still in good standing because I know the written word of God. What were the Jews saying? We have the Torah. We have, they would have said, we have the Bible. We have the written word of God. But they forgot or overlooked the fact that the written word is authored by the living word, the Holy Spirit. And as that separation grew, The rift widened, and when Jesus actually showed up, instead of applause and acclamation, right? Well, I don't know if the who-who was in there, but that's what I would have done, right? When Jesus actually showed up, they met him with their disappointment and their bitterness. And the thought occurred to me, is that a possible trap that we could fall into as well? Obviously, the answer to that question is yes, or I wouldn't have brought it up, right? What would it look like if we were to stop listening to the Holy Spirit? 
would we notice? Would there be a difference in our life? One um, observer, Riley, stated, if the Holy Spirit was taken out of your church, would anybody notice? Right? Wow. Fortunately, um, my belief for us is that that's the answer is not... Uh, the Holy Spirit's not here, but the answer is He is here. Many of us listen. And one of our own emailed me this week uh, and gave me a picture, gave us a picture of what it means to listen uh, to the Holy Spirit. So my good friend Lori Peacock, she was here in first service, uh, wrote me last week off of last week's sermon responding to this very issue. And, uh, and I was like, whoa, that is so powerful. So I wrote her back. I said, Lori, this is incredible. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Would you be willing to share that this week? Right? She thanked me for the anxiety attack. <laughs> freaked out. Prayed with her family. And uh, they were praying. And, and Kayla, her daughter, said to her, you know, Mom, if it even helps one person, it'd be worth it. Right? Out of the mouth of babes. So they agreed. She agreed. And she called up and said, yeah, I'd be willing to do it. And so what we did is we've actually taped her because they were able to be here in first service, but they weren't able to be here for both. And so we actually taped uh, her reply. And so um, she, um, what Lori is doing is giving a circumstance where uh, she listened to the Holy Spirit and what, the, what the God was saying to her and and what God was talking to her about. So what we're going to do is shoot a video. So we're going to shoot the video. Listen to Lori, please, and then I'll come back. Uh, last week after Steve's um, sermon on the Holy Spirit, I felt prompted to send an email to him because actually over the years of attending um, Northview, Steve has asked that question of, you know, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to reveal a blind spot in you? And um, he's, like I said, asked that many times. And before even attending Northview, we went to Antioch and Ken Hutcherson would always um, say kind of something similar in that, you know, have you ever, you know, is there a stumbling block that every time, you know, it happens, you're reacting the same way and you get the same outcomes. And, um, you know, because if you are, then it's, you know, you, you that you need to look at and, you know, what is it that you're not doing God's way? Well, several years ago, um, it was, again, one of those, it was the stumbling block that came up. It was the same old, same old, and um, just combined with that, you know, message from Hutch and then that um, message from Steve, I really felt that, okay, this needs to be done a different way, and the only thing that's going to be different is I needed to, you know, ask God for what is it that I am not seeing, and I just wanted to see that blind spot. As I was praying, I can only describe it as, I mean, just a voice as clear as day talking to me, and like I said, I felt, I know my flaws. I have plenty of them, and I could, yeah, definitely rattle them off, and um, so I was kind of thinking I was going to get a prodding in one of those that maybe I just wasn't fully seeing it. So when this voice, when I heard um, this one phrase, um, I was really surprised because it, it, it said, you have, uh, well, I know it was the Holy Spirit saying to me, you have a critical spirit. And I knew that did not come from anything I was ever thinking because to be... I, 
honest to me, it was just the furthest thing um, from my mind. I always felt like I was a natural encourager. Um, I was a cheerleader for my family, and I just didn't see how those two things, how I could be that and have this critical spirit. I continued praying because I just needed to know what that meant because it really did not match with who I thought I was as an encourager because I just didn't see how those two things could blend. And when I was continually praying, more and more became um, just unveiled to me of how much um, just anger I was just kind of on the ready. I was just holding on to... Um, so much um, I guess there was just a lot of baggage and it didn't take much for um, someone to um, fail me in some way or to let me down and I think I was just always on the almost always on the ready for someone to disappoint me and I can only describe it it was just something that there was just a block that was um, there in my relationships yes I was an encourager but you know is that you know was that just a, a little bit more of a you know surface thing I mean what was I really feeling um, inside and you know why couldn't I forget what pe- when people failed me why couldn't I forgive um, you know little things and I mean it just came out and like I said it was more internal I internal I didn't um, you know, verbally attack anyone, but then I, you know, was realizing as I was praying that, you know, it just came out in other ways. It could, you know, just be my tone. It could be the way I carried myself, the way I, uh, you know, my eyes, my body language, whatever it was. I mean, it did come out because I was um, just talking um, out loud to God. I was crying um, to Him. Um, because I just knew that I needed this removed. I knew he was the only one that could take this from me. And so um, just praying and, you know, to the Holy Spirit, I, you know, just, um, you know, take this criticalness away from me because that's the only way it could be done. I mean, there was nothing I could do myself um, that was going to leave. I was just embedded in me. And, um like I said, so much so that I hadn't even seen it. So I knew it was only going to be the Holy Spirit who removed it. And I just prayed. Um, like I said, tear type of prayers, you know, Lord, just remove this critical spirit from me. And um, I just, like I said, prayed in earnest. And um, as I was praying, I can only describe it as it's just this weight. I mean, I really physically felt a weight leave me and as it started to leave I just remember looking up and we was in a you know dark bedroom like I said it was the middle of the night and um, as this weight left I just remember looking up and I just saw this black you know cloud uh, you know above me and um, I just remember it slowly moving across the ceiling and out um, the window and I know that sounds strange it's not something that I uh, would think would happen to me but and I don't know if it was I mean it's the Holy Spirit that's how he works and maybe it was I just needed to see that it was actually leaving I don't know um, what I know it happened um, to me I can't explain it other than 
Um, that's what the Holy Spirit did, and I felt it. She will go on. Um, we taped a little longer, but we cut it down for time's sake. But she'll go on to talk about how important forgiveness was in that. That as God revealed this issue of a critical spirit, um, how she had to step into forgiveness. And uh, just really powerful. I appreciate her doing that. So if you see her, give her a hug and tell her thank you, right, for doing that. Let's uh, close out with this in Galatians. It says, For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This insinuates that there's a rhythm. There's a God-given rhythm for your life with the Holy Spirit. There's a God-given rhythm for our church life with the Holy Spirit. And the idea here is of staying in step. I've used this illustration so many times, but it's so accurate that if you've ever gone to a mall at Christmas time, right, you see a family and they've got little Johnny and little Johnny just races ahead of the whole family is ducking in and out of stores and they're constantly trying to catch him. Little Johnny, come back, right? And some parents actually have a harness and a halter, right? Holding the kid back because the kid's pulling them like the dog down the street, right? And they're like this. And uh, the problem there is that they're always racing ahead of the pace. But then another family has little Billy and little Billy is kind of Kind of done. Come on, Billy, catch up with us. Right? And they can never get Billy, they can't get anywhere because little Billy just kind of never goes along. He, he's dawdling, he's slow, he's kind of being passive aggressive and holding the whole family capture or captive because uh, he's demanding they go at his pace, not at their pace. Right? And what God is trying to get us to understand here is learn my God given pace for you. And how do you learn your God-given pace with Him? It's through the help of the Holy Spirit. Right? God says, don't rush ahead. Don't dawdle behind. Stay in step with me. You know, if you think of when you go for a walk, right? Pam and I go for walks. She thinks it's good for me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're walking together, what's one of the joys of walking? It's walking together. It's no good if one person's racing way in front of the other, the other person's dawdling behind. It's walking together. You can have conversation and you can see things and point things out and you can talk about things you otherwise can't talk about because you're freed up and you're on the walk together. And this is the same idea. It's just walking with the Holy Spirit. Stay in step with the God-given rhythm that He has for your life. The God-given rhythm that He has for your life is not necessarily the same God-given rhythm he has for the person sitting next to you or the rest of your family, right? God will give you a family rhythm, right? So uh, our family rhythm is different than your family rhythm. It's certainly different than the Bond's family rhythm, or right? Our families have different rhythms, but there is a rhythm in there that is a God-given rhythm. Here's what I think is important coming out of the message. It's not so much that we have information. It's what do we do with the information. The goal of the Christian life is not who can accumulate more information and therefore they're king of the hill. The goal of the Christian life is to use whatever information God gives us to walk with the Holy Spirit and to be transformed by Him. If you look uh, here in John, John says, If you love me, you'd keep my commandments. Isn't that awesome? If you love me, you keep my commandments. And a lot of us say, oh, yes, Lord. Now, if I just knew what your commandments were, I I could do them, right? 
I, I, I wish you would have spelled it out. Why didn't you just say, why didn't you lay out what the commandments were so I could do them? Do you want to know what God's commandments are? Here, it's easy. You got your phones? Get them out right now. Who's got phones? Get them out. Come on. You got them. Don't pretend. You, you get, dial up. Go on Safari. Here we go. You, come on. Right now, I'm serious. Do this. Type something. Don't act like you don't know how to type it in. You're typing in things all the time while I'm talking. Come on. Get it going here. <laughs> Safari, the commandments of God. Type it in. Two thumbs. Let's do it fast. Not, don't do the hunt and peck method. Okay? The commandments of God. And look, all kinds of things will pop up. There'll be several lists there. Some wire them a little different. But if you look, it lays out the commandments of God. Wow! So what I want you to do with that is to look at that list and ask God to point out, like Lori said, you know, I was praying all these different things and God pointed out something to me that was totally weird. Like, you have a critical spirit. She's like, no, I don't. What are you talking about? Yes, you do, daughter. Ugh! Right? And she had to work on that. What one of those, out of that list of commandments, which one or two stand out to you that God might have a conversation with you on? And what I would say this week is here's the deal. If you know which one or two they are, cooperate with them in the discussion and walk with the Holy Spirit with what he'd like you to do because he'd like to transform your heart, my heart, the same way. Okay, I, this message beat me up all week, and I just looked at all this stuff and just like, oh my gosh, how do you put words to this? But I think the Lord gave me uh, the the means and the people and the places to put it together. He said, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. Christ in me, the hope of glory, is who? The Holy Spirit. God says, I've given you a deposit. I've given you a person. I've given you the helper. So church, let's cooperate with our helper this week. Right? Let's listen and cooperate and just let him start to transform those inner attitudes that if we're pretending we don't have them, now we can admit to him we have them and let him change them. And a lot of good stuff will come out of it. You know, if people asked and said, Steve, uh, this, I get asked this question often, what do you want for your church? Well, first of all, I tell them it's not my church. Okay, it's Jesus' church. But if you were asking what I would like for the church, uh, what I would like to see, it, it, you know, is it bigger budget or more people and fuller attendance? Or, uh, of course, you'd always want that. Or, you know, <clears throat> those kind of things. You know what I would want for us more than anything else in the world? health, spiritual, emotional, mental health. We'd just be healthy. That we would be walking with God in such a way that we'd be a radiant people. You know, it says that those who look to him are radiant, right? The story of Hank isn't very radiant. And sometimes we're way too much like Hank and not enough like the Holy Spirit. Okay? We are the product of what God's producing. We are the witness. We are the testimony. We are the deposit. And so my thought this week is let's cooperate as you have many times, right? Many times you've heard this, you've heard his voice, but again, God's brought it back for our review. This week, 
Let's cooperate with our helper and see what he wants us to work on. It's not about information. It's about what? Transformation. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks. This is a miserably wonderful week for me. I couldn't get the slides in, and when I did to Margaret there on Friday, and I only got half of them, I stayed up most of the night trying to wrestle with how to put words to this. And thank you for Pastor Scott and the thoughts he brought to the Pastors Network on Thursday. And thanks for how that all tied in. And thanks for uh, Lori, oh my goodness, sending that email. And uh, I know it put her on a spot, but thank you for her faithfulness to step out and, and share in faith what that looked like to listen to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we're gathered here this morning, would you have mercy on us? We know many times... You know, I think of the Godhead. I think Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord. And, you know, we have a hard time getting a handle on that. But I think if anybody's the most offended one in the Trinity, it's you, Holy Spirit. We we blow by you. We pretend we didn't hear you. We avoid your nudges. We avoid your bumps. We uh, act like we don't need you. And I, I would just be highly offended if you were me. And so, uh, Lord, we, we want to ask you to forgive us of that. We'd ask that you might extend mercy. Lord, we we live in a culture that desperately, desperately needs your help. And the people in our culture aren't the enemies, Lord. Satan is the enemy. They've been duped as well. And we ask that you would break out in, in incredibly brilliant and fresh ways to rescue so many who have not even heard your name. But Lord, help us cooperate with that process. May we be a transformed people because we cooperated with your helper. And we ask this in your name. Amen.